Hello and welcome back to the Biomes podcast where I have conversations with some of the best minds in the world, the best scientists who are researching human microbiomes. And this week we are talking all things babies and baby microbiomes. And I speak to Dr. Lindsay Hall from the Quadrum Institute in the UK. Lindsay and her team study what happens in the guts of babies in the first few days of life. And in particular, what happens in the guts of babies who are born too soon. So those that are preterm or or premature. Because these babies are at heightened risk of various complications like terrible infections that can lead to sepsis or awful intestinal inflammatory conditions such as necrotizing enterocolitis. So it's really important that we figure out what the gut microbiome looks like in healthy babies versus sick babies because this could help to um, design treatments for these babies in the future. Now we know that it's really important for a baby to acquire a healthy microbiome in the first few days of life and this usually comes from the mother and through breast milk because acquiring some of these healthier species allows these to fight off potential infectious or disease-causing species which babies are prone to in early life. What we know less about though is how a baby's immune system is able to tolerate all of these different bacteria and viruses. Babies live in this essentially sterile environment during pregnancy in the womb and suddenly they are exposed to this onslaught of bacteria, viruses and other microorganisms in the first few days of life. So a baby's immune system purposely tolerates lots of bacteria in early life which allows it to acquire a healthy microbiome. However, this has a disadvantage because it also allows a baby to become more prone to infections. Now, this can become a problem in babies who are more susceptible, particularly those that are preterm, who haven't developed fully compared to normal term babies. So I started off by asking Lindsay about the differences between a baby's immune system, which has to tolerate all these bacteria, and an adult immune system, which already has a microbiome of its own. And I asked her about some of the processes that allow a baby to acquire a microbiome. One of these being the permeability of the gut, or leaky gut as it's sometimes referred to, which is important in the first few days of life to allow components of breast milk to pass through, but can become a problem in preterm babies, which can lead to infection. In terms of, yeah, the early life microbiota basically overlaps with what we would call the immune priming window, where you get this development, programming and maturation, I guess. And then part of this is inducing tolerance in the system because of course we don't want the immune system overreacting to components like microbes environmental antigens or you know foodstuffs that we see every day and because obviously this leads to potentially stuff overreaction of the immune system for allergies for example so we actually we actually quite recently published a paper where we'd set up a mouse model where we were looking at the impact of inflammation in the small intestine and how if you dose with LPS, so of course a component of gram-negative bacteria, that you get this kind of pathological, what we call cell shedding. So obviously the gut barrier is a single cell layer, and it's really important to maintain that barrier because we don't want stuff 
moving across and then maybe inappropriately activating the underlying immune system. So what normally happens um, kind of at the first stages of, I guess, ulcer colitis or other inflammatory disorders is that barrier maybe becomes compromised. Mm -hmm. And that can happen through a number of different mechanisms. But in the context of kind of this epithelial cell shedding, instead of the normal turnover of epithelial cells, which is, you know, we get natural cell death, the cell pops off the, the top of the villus in the gut and that gap is plugged very quickly um, in pathological cell shedding because there's this inflammation we've got lots and lots of cell death so it ends up we've got basically a holy a leaky gut which is potentially really bad so we'd worked on this model we've worked on this model for a number of different years and what we realized um a couple of years ago when we first started out was this is what happens in the model. You give LPS, which actually only works if you inject it systemically. If you right. give it mucosally, as on the other side, right. where the epithelial cells would be seeing LPS all the time, they're okay. Ah. This was all in adult mice. Right. But we found that if we pre-supplemented the mice with bifidobacterium, we basically reduced the inflammation and we protected from the cell shedding. So we came up with a hypothesis that, okay, this was all in adult mice and we gave bifidobacterium as a supplement, but what actually happens in early life in neonatal periods, what we've just been talking about. So we did basically the same model and what was a little bit surprising when we first did it, so it's the fun thing about science, was we dosed the neonatal mice with LPS systemically and we, don't, we didn't see anything. Nothing happened. So the mice were completely protected against the inflammation and the pathological shedding, yeah. showing that the immune system was completely different than what we were seeing yeah. in the adult mice. And what we saw was we took different samples like the whole way across the neonatal period and into adulthood from the mice. And you could almost see when the mice come out of their neonatal period when they go, when they're kind of weaned, so they move from like mum's milk onto solid food. There's almost a switch that's flicked yeah. and we start to see the inflammation again. That's really it. So that kind of shows that tolerance, I suppose, that kind of essential tolerance in that period that yeah. neonates have to uh, withstand the kind of, the, I mean, huge amounts of LPS than what they're used to, I suppose, uh, and huge amounts of bacteria. And, and that kind of is why there is those differences and that it isn't necessarily um, kind of immature. It's just um, a different immune system, let's say, uh, in early life. So am I right in thinking that there needs to be a bit of permeability in neonates as well, you know, to, um, well, I suppose they're, they're getting breast milk, you know, they need to kind of absorb all these different nutrients and, and, mater and maternal IgA through breast milk is involved in that training of the immune system in the first few months of life as well. So some of that permeability in the neonatal gut is, is essential as well, isn't it? I think so, but it's obviously pretty tricky to confirm <laughs> what that yeah. looks like in a human and even doing it in very very young neonatal mice is very difficult i mean there's a there's there's work older work that suggests that preterm infants for example because of course they're coming out early they have a leakier gut and a thin, thinner mucus layer than their full term counterparts but you're right i think there has to be some crosstalk between the systemic immune system with the gut microbes because that there needs to be normal education and i think if that barrier was completely solid i think that would be difficult although we obviously know that certain metabolites can go across even a completely complete barrier as well so 
we probably it's probably a combination between slight gaps maybe allowing specific larger components to cross to educate the immune system but i'm sure that's an incredibly fine balance yeah. that needs to be maintained without it going either one way or the or the other or the other some of the most interesting work in this field suggests that some of the immune system training for a baby might occur in utero in a mother's womb now this might happen through microbes that a mother is exposed to which may help to train the baby's immune system even before it is born. So this would suggest that a mother's microbiome is really important for a healthy baby. However, there's big controversy and debate in this field as to whether a baby is exposed to microbes when they're in the womb or not. The biggest controversy is whether the placenta has a microbiome of its own, Many people suggest that this placenta is sterile. However, some big studies in recent years have claimed that there are microbes in the placenta that may be passed to the baby in the womb. Although we know that there are certain infectious bacteria that can be present in the mother's urogenital tract and maybe in the placenta, which can cause infection and stimulate preterm birth, it's still unclear how the mother's normal microbiome may train the baby's immune system. Some evidence suggests that some of the metabolites or chemicals that these healthy bacteria produce in the mother can cross the placenta and the bloodstream to the baby, which helps with its training of the immune system. And this would mean that there isn't a need for live bacteria or organisms to pass to the baby to induce this immune system training. However, if this is true, it means that a unhealthy microbiome in the mother may contribute to preterm birth or problems for a baby. Interesting evidence shows that bacterial vaginosis or dysbiosis of the vaginal microbiome is highly associated with preterm birth in various different places around the world. But there's less known about the mother's gut microbiome and how that may interact with a baby in the womb. Interestingly, a mother's gut becomes more leaky or permeable during pregnancy, which may allow some of these bacterial metabolites to pass through to the baby to train its immune system. However, if mothers have an unhealthy microbiome, this may cause issues for the baby. And we know that mothers with inflammatory bowel disease, for example, are at higher risk of preterm birth. I asked Lindsay about how a mother's microbiome may help a baby's immune system, but also may contribute to problems such as preterm birth. We know from like just immunology that there is a very specific um, programming of the system in utero in the fetus. And we know, for example, like macrophages in terms of where they're seeded, in terms of the liver, because liver is absolutely massive in a fetus. Mm. And then those macrophages are kind of then put all over the body even before birth. So there's definitely some intrinsic signals because this will just happen regardless anyway. But it does look like certainly microbial components are probably able from mum's gut these might then be able to cross the placenta which of course is a very very strong barrier and that might start the first stages of this in neutral priming and that probably needs to happen before the baby's born so at least there's some form of microbial ligand exposure before as you say it turns you know it comes outside and then it's being bombarded by a whole multitude of different microbial components 
So I think there's, I think I agree. I think this area is really interesting and I think there's still quite a lot of work to do on it, but it's obviously quite a challenging area to work on. I mean, obviously for clinical in terms of getting your hands on samples yeah. and also even doing the, the in vivo experimentation can be also technically very challenging. And obviously ethically, we need to think very carefully about this as well. But no, I think there's definitely some things happening at those stages but I think we've still got a lot to learn about how those processes work. So, I, and I think what's, what I find interesting about that is, which we will talk about, is the potential of a in utero microbiome or a placental microbiome. But the, at least what we know about it is that metabolites are the ones that might be, particularly metabolites, the ones that are, are involved in this training of the immune system as opposed to live organisms um, in utero. And so potentially that is how it works um, in uh, afterbirth as well. So that's what I want to talk to you about. I suppose the big um, controversy in, in this field as well is about the existence of a, of a placental microbiome. And it seems to be uh, quite a heated uh, topic, I suppose, depending on, on who you talk to. Um, and there was a, obviously a big paper last year uh, suggesting, you know, almost confirming that there wasn't a placental microbiome, at least in, in healthy uh, pregnancies, which seemed to contradict what was shown in a big paper, I think in 2014 by um, Kirsty Agard's group. So what is your take on that? Are, are you still sitting on the fence or do you believe one side or the other? I mean, I think microbiome, I think, is a term we need to be careful in terms of how we use it, right? So microbiome always suggests to me a stable microbial community. So is that the right word for talking about low biomass samples? So it might be that there's microbes present, but mm. is that a microbiome per se, or what we perceive to be a microbiome? So I think there's also, I think there's, I think we just need to work a wee bit better on our language and how we talk about things. Right. I think one thing, I think the, yeah, the paper last year in Nature that showed, and obviously they did about so many different negative controls, which I think is just important for everybody to recognize in the field, particularly for people that are just starting out in this research area, is that contamination can come from so many different places and it's so easy to introduce particularly with clinical samples it's almost impossible mm. to take anything from a human that's sterile it's basically impossible to do for various different reasons um, so they did obviously as you say find a small subset that there was known i guess almost pathogenic microbes that have been associated with preterm birth outcomes for example and um, but i know that there's been other papers subsequently that have come out that have suggested that actually they've imaged and shown that there might be specific live bacteria in certain aspects of um the placenta also depends on what part of the placenta you look at as well that can make a really big difference so I don't necessarily think that there's a stable microbiome because if you think about it from a microbiology perspective, I would suggest it's a pretty tough environment for microbes to grow and colonize and be there for a prolonged period of time. You know, it's in terms of the environment that it physically is and where all the nutrients coming from the microbes. Um, but I'm not excluding the possibility that there might be specific microbes associated with either um, pro or negative pregnancy outcomes. So what they kind of suggested from that study is that this was in healthy pregnancies. And we know that infection is 
very much associated with preterm birth. So even though there might, mightn't be a complex microbiome in the placenta, definitely urogenital infections are associated with, with preterm birth. Um, so, so there can be certain pathogens that, that might cross and, and stimulate the preterm birth. But how does that work maybe with the maternal microbiome? If there isn't maybe a obvious infection, but there is maybe a pro-inflammatory or you know, a dysbiotic microbiome in, in the mother, um, be it the gut microbiome, be it the vaginal microbiome, um, what, how can that maybe play a role in preterm birth? Which is really interesting because preterm birth, if I'm right, is, isn't declining. It, it might even be, prevalence might even be um, getting more uh, prevalent in, in certain, uh, certain regions of the world anyway. So how might the maternal microbiome play a role in that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's better studies looking at this in terms of the vaginal microbiome yeah. and knowing that in that case, a high diversity is bad, as in because you just want it to be lactobacillus dominated. Mm. And that probably means that there's a more inflammatory milieu and maybe there's other overgrowth of potentially pathogenic microbes that can potentially then trigger premature birth. Um, and it could be, although I'd think there's probably still a lot more work to do this about even the maternal guts. We obviously know that even what happens in somebody's gut has consequences systemically over the body. So there's no reason to suggest that that might not also have a significant impact on what's happening in utero as well and just happening through a normal pregnancy. Um, so it might even be that, I mean, we still need to get, get to mechanism. Again, these studies are pretty difficult to do in showing like you know causation rather than association mm. um but it might even be useful from a biomarker perspective because that would even be very useful to be looking for women that might be more susceptible to premature delivery and potentially consequences of that and if they could be potentially monitored that might actually help their clinical care and ultimate pregnancy outcomes as well so I think there's, again, there's still a lot of work to be doing on this. I think people are, I think there's some really great work happening, I said, on the vaginal microbiome side of things and, and preterm birth. But I think we need to maybe be also thinking about other microbiome sites, maternal microbiome sites that might also play a role. As we discussed, preterm babies have a higher risk of dangerous infections because their immune systems aren't as well trained and because they don't have a healthy microbiome. However, in a hospital setting, it can be difficult to quickly assess what infection a baby has and therefore what the best antibiotic to use is. And that's because the normal procedure is to isolate the bacteria from the blood or the stool of a baby and grow it up in a lab on a dish. But this can take 24 to 48 hours to get results, which is an extremely long time in a baby who may have a serious infection. Furthermore, many of the infections that these babies pick up are often resistant to antibiotics, which can make it very hard for a doctor to find the right treatment to help fight the infection. Using lots of unnecessary antibiotics can also harm the microbiome of the baby in early life, which can lead to various health problems later on. Therefore, it's really important for us to try and figure out really quickly what infection is colonizing a baby and what antibiotics it might be resistant to. I asked Lindsay about some recent work that her and her team conducted trying to address this exact problem, where they used a new method of DNA sequencing, which allowed them to identify an infection and what antibiotics it was resistant to within five hours, 
which could help in the future doctors to pick the right antibiotic and treatment for babies at risk of serious infections. So the idea for that was we were doing a longitudinal um, microbiome study on premature babies um, and we were interested in looking at the evolution of the microbiome and also how supplementation with specific microbiota members like bifidobacteria might change the preterm gut and that might be associated with positive health outcomes for example. But one thing we realized when we were working with clinicians was that some of the diseases that preterm babies suffer from, like necrotizing enterocolitis or late onset sepsis, is these babies can go downhill very, very quickly. So clinically, they look okay, but within maybe six to eight hours, they can deteriorate to the point where they need to be rushed into emergency, emergency surgery. And unfortunately, for, for some of these conditions like neck, it's got a 40% mortality rate. So it's really serious. So something that kind of we realized that might be quite useful is alongside the long read sequencing, which we can do on with Oxford Nanopore with the MinIon, it also has the added benefit that it's real time and it's rapid. So it gives a number of different advantages. So the, basically the idea and the scope of the project was to see if we could rapidly profile the preterm microbiome, microbiome in healthy and with babies with suspected neck or sepsis and to see if we could correlate that with overgrowth of pathogens we know are associated with this disease. And then, because it's really important clinically, what's the antibiotic resistance profile? Because mm. There's no point saying, oh, well, it's Klebsiella. And then if we don't actually give the antibiotic resistance information, it makes it more difficult for the clinician or the healthcare professional to give a rational choice for antibiotics, which in this case, because the disease is so rapid and the infection is so severe, you need this information as quickly as possible. So what we were able to show was that we could do microbiota profiling obviously down to the species and strain level for babies and we could see overgrowth of particular pathogenic microbes um, and we were able to show that the preterm microbiome which other people have shown before has a very high number of antibiotic resistance genes called the resistome which is no surprise because preterm babies get an unbelievable number of antibiotics like it's crazy and it's because they might get neck or sepsis so they're given prophylactically but it's a bit of a disaster for the microbiome and then we wanted to see well we've kind of established all the pipelines we're really happy including um richard leggett who's a bioinformatician and software developer also developed bespoke software to go with the long read sequencing which basically to enable people to use the data because there's no point us developing something if nobody can actually ready use it. <laughs> um, and then what we were able to do is what we were able to show that we could go from basically the stool sample to do the DNA extraction, the library preparation and to throw it on the MinIon and to do the analysis um, that whole kind of process in less than five hours a normal typical microbiology lab testing for those conditions would maybe take 48 to 72 hours so in a baby that might go downhill in six to eight hours but we want to make it even quicker than that but that's a pretty good goal for 
to do it initially. And what we were able to show is we were able to show overgrowth of um, neck-associated pathogens like Klebsiella pneumoniae, and we were able to confirm what the antibiotic resistance profiles were. So where do you, can you hypothesize, or do we know at the moment, where preterm babies are picking up these resistant infections from? Is it from the mother? Is it from the hospital environment? Or, I mean, has there been these kind of big swab studies done, you know, to, to know why they're picking up? Because presumably they're there in, you know, in the environment somewhere, whether it's a mother or the hospital, but the preterm baby is just more susceptible to, um, to that pathogen colonizing them, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there was the kind of the baby biome study last year that kind of showed, I mean, that wasn't preterm babies, but showing that C-section babies versus vaginal delivery had a higher incidence of potentially um, pathogenic microbes, which would suggest that that's either from surface associated, that's, that might be skin, or as you say, it might be the hospital environment as well. Um, so we've been doing a lot of other work where we've been looking for strain level tracking to see where these microbes are coming from so it seems at the moment that actually probably it's more an environmental component so what's actually physically in the wards although we obviously can't discount that we've also got microbes that might be getting passed around because there's different people handling the babies obviously all of the time so we've done that through a combination of metagenomics but we've also done isolation of um, specific important pathogenic microbes, whole genome sequencing, because that allows you to do proper epidemiology and strain tracking. And it's actually interesting because you can see that a baby might potentially acquire an antibiotic resistant bacterium. At the moment, we're still not entirely sure where that's from. It might be from mum. We're doing those studies at the moment. But once that baby has it, and if that bug is particularly antibiotic resistant it just goes spreads like wildfire and it starts popping up in other babies in the ward and then if the baby's transferred to another hospital lo and behold we see that then pathogen then spreading around in there as well so that's obviously a bit of a disaster but i think you're right i think finding or pinpointing where these bacteria are coming from is really important from an intervention perspective and from like our infection surveillance and maybe like doing new disinfectant right. um, protocols for you know preventing transmission. I mean, some of these microbes are spore formers, so they hang around for ages, but some of but a lot of them aren't necessarily spore formers and they won't necessarily be the typical microbes we would associate with adult infections. They're different, but as you said, that's probably down to the fact that they have a different immune system and they've got a different microbiota. Right. as well. In order to fight off infection, to develop a normal immune system, and to grow and develop properly, a baby needs to acquire a healthy microbiome, which usually comes from various sources from the mother, from the birth canal, from her gut, from her skin, and from breast milk. And some interesting studies over the last few years have shown that babies who are born by C-section have a totally different microbiome to those with a standard vaginal delivery, because the first microbes that they are exposed to come from the mother's skin or the hospital environment. And therefore, it is suggested that this is why C-section babies have heightened risk of allergies or auto-inflammatory conditions later in life. So this has led to the development of a theory known as vaginal seeding, 
where a vaginal swab is taken from the mother at birth and swabbed on her baby if it is born by C-section to try and give it a normal microbiome. However, this only exposes the baby to the vaginal microbes and doesn't include the mother's gut microbes or other microbes that might colonize the baby during a normal birth. I asked Lindsay her thoughts on the science behind vaginal seeding and her thoughts on studies involving meconium, which is a baby's first stool sample, which may give an indication of the first microbes it is exposed to. And finally, I asked her her thoughts on the future of baby microbiome research. Certainly for vaginally delivered babies, the, the, the strain tracking appeared to be from mum's gut, not from the vaginal microbiome. Um, the one thing I think that is still quite hard um, to do at the moment is I absolutely, I mean, if you think anatomically, the babies will come into contact with mum's gut microbiota. And I think that's absolutely essential for what happens during actual childbirth. But that's not to say that the vaginal microbiome or that's what's in the birth canal isn't important because it might be that they don't colonize, but they're maybe there for a very short period of time that then reduces the oxygen in the baby's gut that allows the bacteroides and bifidobacterium that's potentially coming from mum's gut from that crossover, that that reduces the environment, takes the oxygen away, and then they can really start kind of getting up and running. I think it's for people that have worked with infant samples, um, processing the samples that first come out of a baby, the meconium is, um, is incredibly challenging to get enough material to be able to do anything on it. So I think, I don't think we can discount that they're not important, but I, I think what's been underappreciated up till fairly recently with the studies that are now coming out is that actually mum's gut microbiota is probably even more important. And you can't, you probably can't look at one without the other. So yeah, the vaginal seeding projects that are happening at the moment, it will be very interesting to see what that ha- what's, what that comes out of that long term. Because what we might find is, as you say, there might be some restoration, but we don't see that full restoration because they're missing half of the jigsaw, which is mum's gut bacteria as well. That's really interesting because the the meconium kind of studies you've talked about have just there was a, a another recent paper i think just last week or the week before um which tried to track almost by hour the presence of of microbes in in the uh, in the infant gut and i think the the magic number was 16 hours or something like that the the ratio of microbial dna to human dna in meconium seemed to um outweigh the microbial uh, dna seemed to outweigh the, the human one so uh i guess we're getting closer to finding out what exactly is happening in not only in the first days of, of the infant gut, but actually the first, even the first hours or maybe, maybe we'll get it down to seconds as well, you know, and, and really trying to, to find, find out what, what is happening there and what's really important. So, um, so I'd just like to finish up maybe and, and get your insight into what is next. What um, would you like to see happen uh, in the field um, and what do you expect to happen maybe in the next few years as well? Oh, that's, yeah, I guess that's, um, I guess it's slightly, it's always quite a tough question. I think what's going to be really important, I think, is it's all, it's all going to go hand in hand with technology development as well. What we've done a little bit with the Minine work is having a, for this case, it was a clinical question. And can we rapidly profile the microbiome, look for AMR? And what is the technology that might us allow us to do that? So I think going forward, I think there's going to be 
I mean, there already is at the moment, but I think there needs to be far more studies that are kind of going hand in hand with, you know, biological or clinically relevant questions and then fitting or developing technologies that are able to answer those answer those questions. I mean, that's why microbiome is so massive, because it's basically because of tech development. Because people have known that the microbiome is there for a long time and we've known it's really important but it's only relatively recently that we were able to actually look at it from a number of different angles i mean there's a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon in terms of live biotherapeutic products instead of traditional probiotics mm. so using a bug as a drug for a specific disease condition but i think that's based on a lot of robust um, experimental work which is exactly what you would have to do to bring a drug to market so I think we're going to see a lot, a lot more of that. And hopefully the regulatory landscape will make that slightly easier because, of course, it's a bit challenging to think that you're going to give particularly somebody quite sick a live bacteria, yeah. although they've been isolated from a healthy person. So, But I think it's just having the regulatory authorities getting their heads around this concept. So, yeah, I think it's going to be kind of tech development, but I think it's then taking real-life clinical findings from important, like, groups of individuals maybe be preterm babies like for you like you know malnourished children what are we seeing that's interesting right let's now go back into the lab and let's see how we can understand how that's actually happened and then develop a potential therapy or intervention based on that brilliant well we'll we'll wait for the uh the big results out of your labs for some of those this is my lofty goals we'll see if we actually get there in the end but I it's know, nice yeah. to if we're allowed back to the lab at some point soon, then maybe we'll see. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That's true. <laughs>